Welcome to Bhagavad Gita class. This is week 52. And we're on chapter 15, Yoga of the Supreme Person. And we'll finish the chapter today, 11 through 20. And next week we'll do a summary class with this great Jivananda Prabhu. And that may take two or even maybe three classes. <laughs> Just all ecstatic. So, um, so in this particular chapter, Krishna is really laying the big picture out for us in a really profound and beautiful way. And he compared the material world to a reflection of the real tree, which is the spiritual world. And he said, we cannot see that tree with our eyes. And we are um, covered over by the shadow reflection within the illusory energy, which is compared to a reflection of the real tree on the water, which rests on our desire. And um, then Krishna very poignantly says, the way to break um, the attachment to this shadow tree and to be able to see the real tree, which is Krishna, is through the weapon of detachment. So then he gives some, some evidence for what that um, detachment is. Uh, he says, those who are free from false prestige, illusion, and false association, who understand the eternal, who are done with material lust, who are freed from the dualities of happiness and distress, and who, unbewildered, know how to surrender unto the Supreme Person, attain to that eternal kingdom. So then Krishna begins speaking about how um, we attain a particular type of body due to our desires, and how a living entity is struggling um, with the senses, the six senses, which include the mind, but how we are his eternal parts and parcels. And then, um, as Sri Prabhupada states at the end of the chapter, he started talking about Purushottama Yoga. And that means um, understanding Krishna to be God and understanding his position um, and knowing that he is the goal of life. Uh, so, so Krishna, after describing that we're part of this illusory tree and a little bit about who we are, and he starts saying who he is. So that's the process. So he doesn't, he, he doesn't focus on how we are overcome by the illusion we're overcome by material loss. He doesn't spend a lot of time on that. He touches on that, and then he gets into the fact that he's the source. He says, I am the sun and the moon. So in other words, all the nourishment, all the light in this world come from Krishna. Because plants, they feed off of the sun. And we gain nourishment from the plants. Um, the moon also. The moon nourishes the plants. So Krishna's saying, I am that nourishment. Krishna says, actually, I enter into the planets and I, and, I, and I allow them to stay in orbit. I am that potency that allows the planets to float. And, uh, and he says, I am the fire of your digestion. In other words, you can eat because Krishna allows you to digest the food. Um, so Krishna is speaking like this, like, basically, I am everything to you. I give you all potency. I give you all facility. And then he says, I am the source of knowledge. He says, actually, I'm the compiler of all real knowledge. Everything else is illusion. He says, by this knowledge of the Vedas, I'm to be known. I'm the goal of all this knowledge. And then he says, and the one who unbewildered surrenders unto me attains, attains to my eternal abode. And this person knows everything. And Gangeya Prabhu, in one of the questions, if you remember, he was saying, so how, does, how is it that a saintly person uh, this person who engages in devotional service, who surrenders to Krishna, how is it that they know everything? He says, please, please describe that. And so, um, actually, somebody asked Prabhupada that question. He, says, he said, Prabhupada, he was trying to uh, test Prabhupada. He said, Prabhupada, how many, uh, how many windows are there in the Empire State Building? And Prabhupada said, how many drops of water are there in a mirage? That was his response. So, um, basically, this means that the activities and knowledge we accumulate in this world, ultimately, they, they don't lead anywhere. They just keep us trapped here. And the real knowledge means um, the Purushottama Yoga, what we're learning in this chapter. In other words, who am I? How am I suffering in this world? And how do I, um, unbewildered, uh, surrender unto that the Supreme Person? Um, and so the idea is, is that those who, who do 
um, give their life to devotional service to Krishna. They know everything because they know the process of union. Uh, they know the science of God and they know what is real. They know how to engage in real activities and to regain that real life. Um, so this is a very beautiful chapter. And again, Krishna's saying at the end, this is the most confidential knowledge. So he, every chapter he's saying that, if you notice. <laughs> Almost every chapter he's saying, this is the most confidential. But he's giving this, he's, he's, he's allowing us to take a step back and see everything, see a picture of everything. And then he says, those who are godly, those who are uh, engaged in this illusory energy without any connection to God, they cannot see, they cannot see this illusory energy. They can't see me. They can't see themselves. What they're seeing is, is simply a product of um, false egoism. Um, so again, we're shocked and inspired by Krishna's words and that we can uh, gain that union with Krishna. So, Krishna Mahaprabhu, thank you, share. How do you follow that? It's huh? <laughs> so wonderful. Um, So the quotation that I took was from uh, the 20th verse in the purport. Uh, there's a little paragraph in there, a little sentence that I thought was really poignant. And it said, everyone must take to this consciousness of Krishna and engage in devotional service to become intelligent and purified. So as far as the understanding of that, um, uh, it's pretty clear. Um, Basically, everyone must take to consciousness of Krishna and engage in devotional service. So really, that's what it is. You engage in devotional service, you become Krishna consciousness. You become conscious. And you become intelligent. This intelligence is transcendental intelligence, not just academic intelligence. You know, people can be very smart in academia, but not necessarily very smart in other matters. Nor purified. And it goes on to say in that same paragraph that unless one comes to the disposition of understanding Krishna and engages in devotional service, however intelligent he may be, uh, in the estimation of some common man, he is not perfectly intelligent. So I kind of further explains that understanding of that. And as far as the application goes of that, first step in this devotional service of Krishna consciousness is to chant the holy names of the Lord. That right away is the basic foundation to build on and then from there uh, purification can take place of mind, heart, and remembering who you are and your connection. Then associate with the devotees of the Lord and listen from bona fide sources about the pastimes of the Lord and his teachings. And lastly, uh, surrender to and serve the spiritual master following his instructions. So this is the kind of the step-by-steps to apply this as devotional service. And most importantly, don't forget to eat prasadam. So what are some examples maybe of how society promotes knowledge, what would Krishna would describe as illusion? Do you have any uh, thoughts on that? How general society promotes knowledge? Yeah, how how society promotes um, different ways of of knowledge, but how Krishna would describe those same things as illusion. What are some examples of that? So what Krishna is saying is knowledge is very different than what society says is knowledge. Or maybe some examples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Knowledge is locked into, let's say, you're a mathematician. And you're mathematically calculating you know, things. Uh, I remember talking to math professors. In fact, some math professors very good friends of mine. I've been for years. And basically one math professor told me, he says, if, if, you're, if you know math, you know the questions and the answers to everything. Existence itself. And I said, really? But it's limited. It's, it's, yes, probably in a Maya sense you do, in the material sense you do, but past the material. So I used to say that to her all the time. I says, well, okay, let's go past the material, but what about that? Well, what do you mean? You know, it's like, I'm frying the brain. 
you know, mm -hmm. can't really calculate. There's an intelligent, incredible, I mean, can do this complicated mathematics that I could never dream of doing, but yet couldn't understand what to me was a simple concept of going beyond that. So that's one example. Okay. Just to add to that, I, I, I see, I see these situations like that. This person would make such a bold statement has to say that he knows all the knowledge that there is to know, yet, hypothetically speaking, probably doesn't know how to relate to his five-year-old son in a personal way. You see, it's so funny. This is the, uh, the madness of, of this material world or how to treat his spouse. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, and these are just material things, what to speak of. Yeah. A good example would be, like, our leaders. We won't mention any names. Just in general. Just in general, our leaders. And sometimes they're very competent at particular aspects of, of material um, engagement. But, like, I mean, was saying, just basic human quality, not even godly quality. Just having basic morality is like it. So, and the Vedas would say having that morality is, is the quality, is the, the essential quality. Krishna speaks of the different qualities of the different types of persons. Um, so, the, the skills in Vedic culture they come after the um, training from the Guru in the Guru Kul, um, they come later. And most essentially, is the qualities, because if you don't have the qualities, then anything, any skills that are obtained will be misused, misdirected. Uh, you all probably remember that story with the scientist and the boatman. You all remember that story. What do you say? He's very, you know, prideful. And he say, "Have you learned about you know, the astrology of the Venus?" And the boatman says, "No." He says, "Oh, fifty percent of your life is in this." He's he's going out like this. Have you learned about medicine? Oh, another 25% of your life is waste. And so a big uh, storm comes, and uh, it looks like they're going to have to swim, and the boat is capsizing. And the boatman says to the scientist, Do you know how to swim? And he says, No, I don't. He said, 100% of your life is wasted. <laughs> <laughs> die now because you don't know how to swim. <laughs> so. It's interesting how society values certain things, and then Krishna, the Vedas, they value a whole other set of uh, qualities and knowledge. Any other thoughts on that? I just think about some of the families that I that I work with at my um, job, and they have street smarts. So their knowledge is about how to survive on the streets in a very kind of defending and warring way almost you know but that's their knowledge and then I think about like the different schools of, of philosophy that I learned at college you know in college and from Plato and Socrates up to current and there's even a, a um, school of consciousness now at the at the U of A and none of it includes Krishna and, and you can just follow this path or that path or that path and it's a lot of speculation you know but there are no answers at the end of the day so those are a couple types of knowledge that's a great point because now um, there's a different section of society that's seen the importance of consciousness mm -hmm. but they don't have any answers right. because they're starting from the ground up and this is no question of realizing anything from the ground up because consciousness like the material scientists they can't even understand gross matter mm -hmm. let alone subtle matter you know what we're taught consciousness is, is spiritual substance so there's no way that they can realize that. But they're recognizing its importance. That's a good thing, at least. Hopefully they'll stop. Sure. Hopefully they'll give up the pride and they'll start listening to saintly people. Yeah. <laughs> that would be a real blessing. Include that in yeah. the conversation, at least. Yeah. 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 So it's good that yoga is having um, starting to have a voice. Mm -hmm. But uh, we need to educate the yoga teachers because they're also staying on a very surface level. Mm -hmm. There's been, we're a real trend of that too. Uh, in the last ten years in science, you know, um, I think the, uh, there was a movie that came out. What the bleep do you know? You know, and, and basically it talks about quantum physics and, and different realities and so forth. And these, a lot of these well-known, incredible scientists are saying science has gone as far as it can go. 
So there's got to be something beyond what we can calculate. So they're starting to realize certain things and aspects that they're their limits of what they can. And says, God, the old the old sacred text had it right, you know, type of thing idea. And you see these scientists saying these things. So they're starting to realize that. It's starting to come to mind. And real prominent people too, not just you know, just everyday. So it's a good thing. That's good. Those are the honest ones. Yeah. That's that's good to know. If any honest one, they have to say that. The ones that are trying to disprove God say, oh, we know so much. <laughs> the honest scientists will say we don't know very much. Yeah. I was just going to say, it's kind of like the story of Prahlad Maharaj, with, the, uh, with his two teachers were teaching him all kinds of uh, diplomacy, you know, how to lie to people to get what you want, and stuff like that, and basically just knowledge on how to... Uh, to be able to have sense gratification, basically. So that's pretty much what we learn in, in uh, you know, in college or whatever, you know, how to get a job so you can do that. So it's kind of the opposite of Krishna consciousness, basically. Yeah, yeah that's a great point. Yeah, that's definitely true what you're saying. Because I remember before I was going to go to college, I had people trying to convince me, you know, this is the best thing to do. Look, look at the income for people. You know, graduate, and if you've got a job you can get, and and, and then getting involved with people that are really into you know free market economy, and they're promoting you know this capitalism like the best thing, the most wonderful thing. Like, like you want to get rich? That's wonderful. That's how the free market you know, capitalism works. Like the more people that want to be rich, the better. Because what what you're gonna do is you're gonna you're gonna fill a niche. You know, you're gonna create a you're going to create a product or a service that fills a gap because of your drive of lust and greed. And this this is how capitalism, uh, that's what runs capitalism. Uh, there's that movie, I can't remember what it was called, it was based on like a famous book. Um, but it's basically about like some of the early capitalists who started railroad system and just their drive to expand more and more, and this, the wealth of this family, and how they just uh, kept on pushing for, you know, oil and railroads, and just, <laughs> it's just, uh, and Mother Earth, like, I say she can prove those documents, like, Mother Earth is just shaking her head. Of course, all that wealth will get you happiness, too. That'll make you happy. Right, that's, that's the goal. <laughs> yeah, that's the biggest lie. Yeah, that's what they say. Strive as hard as you can to get wealthy and then you'll be happy. But then you got people who are wealthy who sometimes commit suicide. <laughs> well, that's a fact. That's just, that's real knowledge. That's actually what happens. Wealthy, famous people. Very unhappy. Uh, we just went on a little trip. Uh, Caroline, Tyler, and I days and uh, stuff. we were coming back through Sedona and Sedona's like a very wealthy you know, city, lots of rich people, lots of tourists and just watching the people, we were just passing through, watching the people, they look so miserable, mm. that was all those people, <laughs> I mean, they look way more unhappy than people in Tucson, in Tucson was like, you know, hey, somewhere it's kind of hellish, it's just interesting, you know, and not even friendly, you know. So, Isn't that supposed to be kind of a spiritually consci conscious place? Yeah, it is. Wow. There's two parts of Sedona. One is Krishna's beautiful nature, and the other is this kind of like hodgepodge of right. uh, spiritual materialism. I call it. Yeah. I remember I was in a restaurant. Oh, I was in a restaurant up there maybe two years ago, and I was over. I was in a, like a coffee shop, over listening listening to a conversation with these two women, and they were all about, yes, that the if you just talk to the universe, all of your needs will be provided, and you're going to have, you know, just like you were saying, uh, abundance and wealth. And I think, wow, is that your focus of attention? I mean, there's I don't think there's anything wrong per se with, a, you know, ha wealth is it depends on what you do with it, you know, so it's it's neutral. There's a neutrality, I think, to wealth, and it's really what you, where your consciousness is, is what you do with what you, your material. I mean, we want to benefit 
the temple, as a matter of fact. We want to benefit, so there is a certain degree of need for uh, material reality, you know, uh, sustenance, let's put it that way. That's a very important thing. Yeah, so a devotee sees the utility. So he's seen like gold and rocks exactly equally, no difference. But the difference he sees is not in the value of the items themselves, but he's seen in how can I use them. So he might feel like, what am I going to do with these rocks? You know? <laughs> like, I can't do very much with these rocks. But money, then I can give to Krishna. I can build a temple. I can buy books. I can, you know, help, you know, support the devotees. Yeah, so with money, I can do these things. So that's, that's the difference that he sees. But the objects themselves, like in other words, how he personally values this thing, he sees no difference. Like a million dollars in a stone, like a worthless stone, he doesn't see any difference. But for the service of Krishna, he sees the difference. Yeah, that's a great point. Thank you. Okay. Have any more for me? Um, I don't really have anything. Um, but okay. Just something that comes to mind when I was reading this is uh, I, I really like this particular uh, text here, text 19. Where it says, whoever knows me as the supreme personality of Godhead without doubting is the knower of everything. So, you know, one thing that really stands out to me in this particular line here is it's impossible to know God or know Krishna if we doubt, if we have any, any, any tinge of doubt in our mind. So, so these doubts become demons that hold us back from fully experiencing what Krishna has for us. Um, and I think this is repeated over and over again throughout the, uh, the scriptures. So it's really important that we eliminate these doubts. Um, and it's just something that I've been thinking about. Um, doubts are impediments to our spiritual advancement. They block our growth and they don't allow us to experience the bliss that is found in Krishna consciousness because our mind is always wavering. And that's kind of a symptom of this material world, you know. So um, it's important that we, I don't know, that we speak with Krishna, that we offer prayers, that we ask him to, to dispel these doubts that we may have, whatever, for whatever reason, whatever doubts. A lot of times we may not even realize that we have doubts. They might just be in our subconscious. And we don't realize that we're like holding on to these doubts that don't allow us from moving forward. Um, because I'm convinced that if we're able to see Krishna to the extent that he allows us to, to that he allows himself to be seen, um, because he's inconceivable, I don't think there's anything that's going to stop us from wanting to run towards him and embracing him. And I think that the only thing that stops us from doing that is the doubts that we entertain in our mind. That's very good. And that makes me want to read. Yes. Oh, you want to go first if you want. No, no, please. Can we talk more about the doubts, though? Yeah, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to talk about. Is that? I was just going to say the doubt thing is really interesting. I mean, I've struggled with doubts, and and I really analyze myself where the doubts are coming from. And where they're coming from, at least for me, I can't speak for everyone, where, where my lack of faith or, or wavering faith I've experienced over the years is from the false ego. It's from wanting to compete with God, wanting to compete with Krishna. And it reminds me of atheists. You know, the atheists have an emotional reason for being atheists, you know, and... Uh, you know, it, it all has to do with, uh, you know, that one saying where they say in Kali Yuga, the, the demoniac and the, and the uh, devotee is in the same body, <laughs> you know. So it, it's a struggle. Until you get to a really high level, there's a struggle going on between the um, false ego and total surrender to God. And when the false ego is running the show, then the person feels like God is their main competitor, you know, and and he's the person who's standing in the way of my material desires. And when 
you're in a, in a, on a surrendered in a surrendered mood. It's just the opposite. And that's one of the um, the goals of this chapter, Purushottama Yoga. We're speaking about Purushottama means a supreme person, and so Krishna was saying he's describing like, look, I'm the, I'm the source of everything. I am the sun and the moon. I am the fire of digestion. I, I make this. I make the planets move in order. Like, you can't compete with me. You can't compete with me. I am Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead. And um, those who, who know this, like it says in the 10th chapter, also the wise who perfectly know this, engage in my devotional service and worship me with all, his, all their hearts. So what Krishna is saying in so many words is he's saying this attachment to this illusory tree is due to um, this competitive spirit. And he's, he's really spelling out again um, Purushottama, he's the supreme person, and that there is no one equal or greater than him. He pervades every single body in existence, every atom in existence, every planet in existence, um, and he is perfectly cognizant of everything in existence. Uh, a pure soul knows the science of God. Krishna knows everything, both in the material and spiritual realm, uh, at all times, at all places, and all circumstances. So he can give his full consciousness and attention. Uh, to everyone at every moment of existence. That's the power of God. And so I was wanting to read this based on what Govinda Mahaprabhu was saying, and Nityananda Prabhu was saying, is um, Krishna describes how to overcome this doubt in the seventh, seventh chapter, remember. So he says, The Supreme Personality of God had said, Now hear, O Sanaprita, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. So what, what he is saying is that when we apply ourselves to the path of bhakti yoga um, in time, he will fully reveal to us because faith is always going to be mixed um, and we're going to be getting more into divisions of faith. Um, I believe, let's see, divisions of faith. That's the 17th chapter. So how faith is always mixed in the modes of nature until we are fully cognizant of God. And that means we can see the pure form of the spiritual tree. We can see the spiritual reality. And until that spiritual world is completely revealed to us, there's always going to be some mixed faith. There's always going to be some doubts until we're completely purified. Um, so don't, don't be despondent don't, if you have some doubts. Unless we're completely liberated souls, we can't completely see transcendence we're still seeing, uh, it's, just, it's like a shadowy, cloudy reality, as uh, Jaidwaita Swami told me once. So it's a cloudy atmosphere. Um, so we're still dealing with uh, these overhanging, <laughs> billowing clouds. So thank you, Govinda Mahaprabhu. Thank you. Yes. I just want to mention, it's like, um, as conditioned souls, we have, in our subconscious mind, we have ideas, you know, um, like, I can only be happy if I make a lot of money, or I can only be happy if I have a nice spouse and a nice family. You know, we have these different ideas. And to become Krishna consciousness, we've got to, like, break through our, you know, preconceived ideas like that. Yeah. Yeah, because how can you quench your thirst through a mirage? And that's another lesson that Krishna takes. And this is a reflection. This isn't a real life. And you can't be happy because your spiritual senses are, are uh, covered. It's just like um, you have numbing, like numbing cream on, and you can't feel the touch, right? So in this, in this material environment, it's like we're numb, our spiritual senses are numb. That's why our hearts are very hard, um, because we can't feel the presence of God. We can't uh, feel the exchange of love with God. So it's like that same way. So, um, so to really enjoy, to really be happy, we need that connection. We need that real life, that real life connection with God. And that comes through Purushottama Yoga. So, Chutapriyamataji, would you like to share? 
I was reading this fifteenth uh, uh, verse. Uh, I know because uh, this stands out probably because I learnt it before. Says Sarvasya Chaham Rudi Sannivisto Matha Smritir Gnanam Apohanam Cha Vedas Cha Sarvair Aham Eva Vedyo Vedanta Krit Vedavid Eva Chaham. The translation goes like this. I am seated in everyone's heart and from me come remembrance, knowledge and forgetfulness. By all the Vedas I am to be known. Indeed, I am the compiler of Vedanta and I am the knower of the Vedas. And it's beautifully said here like Krishna says like I am seated in everyone's heart. So sometimes like um, we've, we've known about this sixth sense for a long time but never like we didn't know that Paramatma was guiding, so that's what clicked me, like um, where Lord says, I'm seated in everyone's heart to direct them based on our desire. So basically, if we are trying to be materially successful, still God will try to guide him to be materially successful. If our desire says, I want to be spiritually successful, and the God says, yes, I'll guide you to be spiritually successful. So it's basically uh, the free will that how we direct towards is what Krishna would help us to lead to. And that's how I felt. Yeah. Because lately when I see that, uh, as I was talking to you about how Krishna was guiding from me, internally then I realized it's the Paramatma who is guiding me when I could hear something internally so and that really helped me thank you so then um, it's not a chance right yeah everything in our life is a chance so somehow or other if we're forgetting God that's due to our very strong desire mm -hmm. and then we feel like if we remember God it's due to mercy so, have you seen this play out in your life in different ways? Is there different, like say some examples? Have you felt like different times in your life you've forgotten God due to your desire? You've, uh, you've come to God and God's revealed himself? Yeah, basically, um, we have four ways to come to the God, right? Like, I've been always like, trying to be materially successful uh, and which Krishna gave me that strength to get there um, but then uh, at some point I said this is not what I wanted probably I'm like like with just distress I said okay let me try to find something more with why I'm not being able to be happy so that's how it, the quench for the happiness came. Whatever I was trying to lord it over material nature, the desires have been fulfilled. And then I was like still not happy. It was only temporary, as Krishna says. Whatever it is in the material world, it's all temporary. Then, okay, then I was really looking um, what to do, what to do. And that's how my brother and my sister-in-law, they both are devotees, so... She one day, like, she spoke to me about uh, Krishna, and I was like literally working two jobs at that time, making a lot of money. And that just 10 minutes gave me a lot of solace. I was like trying to ponder what is that she said that I feel so happy. And that's where the path followed for me to come into the spiritual path. And this is around six to eight years, I mean, around 20. 12, I should say, yeah, so it's like 2019, yeah, seven years so back. Is here in the state? Um, yeah, they are in here too. And that's what I, I started to find myself internally from then on and to see what is that that's really the true happiness is. And that's what I'm trying to get to it and Krishna is helping me greatly you in see, getting there. You see your, your aspirations changing? Yes. I, I, in fact, like, it's not just mine. I'm trying to teach my kids, too. It's not, I mean, and my family around, I was trying to just, uh, you know, like, because I've been there, done that, and uh, trying to teach them, but it probably takes, it's their separated souls, so.
and it takes time for them to understand but obviously if i i feel i'm great i mean i'm grateful because of my kids because i'm thinking they are the pure souls who came into my life to put me through this path so they can have uh, an association of a devotee so that's how and i that's think that's your devotional offering yeah okay. like that's very important devotional yeah. service to raise your kids yeah. be an example of krishna consciousness so that's a really big shift right. you know before you're thinking of being successful and now you're thinking about your kids spiritual life so that that means dharma that means uh, krishna has you know through the grace of devotees and your determination place you on the path of dharma so now you're hearing and chanting you're initiated yes yeah when did you get initiated um i got initiated in 20 uh, this is 2019 right uh, 2017 summer may 15th i got initiated and then last year um no this is 2019 yeah this year uh, in february i got double initiated Brahman initiation this year yeah. february yeah okay. i mean know. january sorry we january <laughs> <laughs> No, it's uh, Roma Pada Maharaj. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got initiated in Phoenix. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, I'm doing the Bhakti Vibe Hub now. Uh, it's like an online course. Mm -hmm. So on the Bhagavatam, I'm trying to do that course right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very good. The Bhakti Bhai Baba? Mm -hmm. Oh, very nice. Great. Yeah. Very good. We're very happy and grateful to have you in this association. Okay. And uh, that's the process, you know, is the transference of our desires, our aspirations, and the deepening of our faith. So we're talking about that, just mm -hmm. not being so worried or concerned about where we are, but just keeping adding the spiritual sound vibration, like Vaisheshika Prabhu said. Um, that's a common answer that Vaisheshika Prabhu gets. Say, how do you do this? Just, just add, this, add the transcendental sound vibration. <laughs> add, add more transcendental sound vibration. It'll all go, it'll all go away. All the difficulties, <laughs> all the fears and doubts. Just keep on adding the transcendental sound vibration. Yeah, it's one of the things that you mentioned that uh, goes back and refers back to doubts. You know, I think that when you reach a certain time in your in your life where you say, okay, uh, this is not making me happy. You know, something else is going on here, you know. And uh, understanding that and having that awareness and to say, wait a minute, what, uh, well, what is really happiness then? Why, why, why am I not happy? Why am I not, why is this not going the way I thought? There's got to be something more. There's got to be something more. Okay, I got the car. Okay, I got the house. I got this. I got that. I got that. But I'm still not happy. So, I mean, when you get to that point, then you just say, well, then I want to know what really does, what is real happiness? And you start asking those questions. And then once you start to realize that there's something beyond this material to give you that happiness or to, or to achieve a sense of happiness, yeah, it's a little bit self-motivated in the beginning, but then it transforms itself once you, once you get to a certain point. And you just, and then you get to that point of saying, okay, I want to give up whatever I think I am, whoever I think I am, just give it up. Totally surrender it. I want to know the truth. I want to know what's going on. That's kind of what happened to me. Mm -hmm. And then, guess what? Here you are. Here I am. You know. So, But I'm still working on it. Still work in progress like we all are. But the thing is, is that it comes to that point, and that helps the doubts, mm -hmm. is, to, is to realize that, hey, you know, okay, if I'm doubting, I can go back there. <laughs> That ain't going to get me nowhere, you know, exactly. right? So, I mean, <laughs> I can only go forward, you know. Right. And so this is, this is the point, you know. And then the doubts start to fade away in time and time and time. And you realize, hey, this is the real deal. I'm going to add something to that if you don't mind. When I was like 22 years old, I was hardcore in the mode of passion. Like, like just, I just wanted to, I wanted to become a, a famous musician. That was my goal. Because ever since I was little, I wanted to make music. And that was my passion, you know, my desire was to, to, uh, to be a famous musician. And I dropped out of college after my freshman year. And I pursued that path. 
and um, and things were moving quite pretty fast in towards the direction of success in that in that particular field. So much so that I was meeting very famous people, you know, doing shows with very famous people, all kinds of things like that. But what's interesting, because I'm trying to tie it into what we're talking about, in my life when I was 22, I had this conception of what would make me happy. And I was convinced that if I get this, I'm going to be happy. I made it. This is it for me. And I was really close to getting it. And as I was experiencing these things that I thought, okay, these things are going to make me happy, I started to see what it really was. And I was experiencing it. And as I was experiencing it, I felt let down. I was like, gosh, this is it? Like, like this is what I thought was going to make me happy. First of all, I'm surrounded by people, with the exception of like my brother, I was surrounded by people that were just low people, man. Just like really low people. Granted, they were, you know, they were making moves, so to speak. Um, but they were doing things illegally, they were just really low people doing things. I was surrounded by really bad association. And I can see that and I can feel that energy. And I was thinking to myself, is this what I've always wanted, you know? So just like you were saying, begin to question, you know, because you're starting to see things and you're like, this isn't what I had in mind. So I immediately, it wasn't immediate actually. It was like on my mind now and I was just constantly, just I was going through the motions, I guess you can say. But it got to a certain point where I had this realization. I don't know why I had this realization. All I can attribute it to is just Krishna being extremely merciful. Um, but I had this realization that this was a dead-end pursuit. I had this realization really early in my life, like 22, 23. And I was like on the radio, doing shows, like getting ready to do all these big things. I was finishing up an album that we worked on for an entire year. And like, I'm supposed to be happy, I'm supposed to be thrilled, I'm supposed to be excited. And I had this really, really intimate experience with God. And that's, only, that's the only thing that it was so intimate, it was so personal, that I knew it was real. And it just completely eliminated whatever doubts that I had, but it was just this personal interaction that I had with God. And I immediately just dropped everything cold turkey. And I, I didn't know the devotees, I didn't know that there was a higher Krishna movement. All I knew was, well, I was raised in the church all my life. My stepdad's a pastor. My mom's, you know, she sings in the church. She does all kinds of things. So I thought, well, I'll just run to church. And that's what I did. And for four years, I was in the church seeking God. I just wanted, I wanted, to, I wanted to become self-realized. I wanted to know God because I knew, okay, at least I knew that, like, my happiness does not lie in all these things that I thought, but I know that, that it lies in, in knowing God. So I thought that the church could give me that. And to some extent they, they did, but there was more. Obviously there's more and that's why I'm here. So, so yeah, for me, like, and it's an ongoing thing as, as, as Krishna Nam was saying, that as we, as we continue to practice Krishna consciousness sincerely, that we can get to know God because it's, it's a personal relationship. To me, that's just how it makes sense to me that I eliminate the doubts when I know, some, like if I know you, there's no, like Gurudev always says that if you know someone, then there's no, it's not a question of faith, there's certainty there. And when you know that, then there's, there's no question of doubt. Doubt goes out the window. So for me, you know, the only, the only thing that I, I feel that has helped me kind of eliminate those doubts is going back to that place where I can know Krishna. I can actually, I can spend time with him. I can... I can enter into a relationship, a loving relationship. And that to me, it's like experiencing his mercy, experiencing his, his love, his grace in my life is what's allowed me to say none of these things matter. I'm just pursuing him, if that makes any sense. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that. That's a really powerful story. Thank you so much. Yeah, Michelle, Mataji and I were talking this morning about um, how Krishna reciprocates more than anybody else, because that's that's really what brings happiness is when we have personal reciprocation, yeah. and uh, and no one can reciprocate like Krishna, and like time and time again that's described in, in the Bhagavatam, um, how uh, 
especially when you're talking about the ten cantos, how <laughs> Krishna's reciprocating the resonance of Vrindavan. Um, so that, yeah, that's really what, what satisfies the heart, is that exchange, and, and, and if you want that exchange, then no one can give it better than Krishna. <laughs> no one else can do it but Krishna. Uh, we can have wonderful relationships, but uh, if they're based on the body, it must be left in heartbreak. But uh, Krishna is... Uh, he is strong and powerful and eternal, <laughs> eternally by our side. So. Superhero. Yes. And he's in our yes. I would, I would yes. also say, you know, in terms of oh, yeah, doubts, doubts, interesting <laughs> topic. Uh, because I think, uh, you know, it's like for some people, people think that doubts will shut you down, and they can potentially shut you down, but they can also, on the positive swing, like you were just saying, they become your legs. So I, so I've kind of come to the conclusion that our doubts are, when they're res- when you choose to resolve your doubts, they become your legs, meaning they advance you, because you uh, seek, you know, have, maintaining that seeking spirit. That's an eternal spiritual principle. I think is having maintaining a, a seeking spirit, because I talk to people sometimes, people who are, you know, I am a chaplain, as most of you guys know. So I talk to people, and some people will say, I really don't believe in God. Of course, I don't argue with them. Uh, I just listen to them, and because you know, it's better to have that kind of a dialogue. But my, the, the most powerful question you can ask anybody who says there is no God is, how do you know that? And that usually stops them, you know, because they, they really can't answer that question. How do you know that? You know, and there's so much evidence to the, you know, I mean, we're... If, if they ask, how do you know there is God, what would you say? Because, well, how do you know there's a God? There's, I would say the most powerful answer to that question would be that God appears in the form of holy people. And so when you're surrounded, when you do meet a saint, you know, there's bonafide saints in this world, you can feel their energy and you can feel that consciousness i mean once you know like for instance you know christ i mean i'm sure that people were had i mean he, his message would not have lasted over two thousand years had there not, not been some validity to the teaching and of course the same with krishna and the same with any great guru so a lot of these folks have never had that encounter with a with a high soul you know they're running around in like you were saying earlier just mundane material existence. I mean, that's just, it's not their fault. It's just the way the world presents itself. But, you know, I think you kind of have to want to seek a higher truth, you know, and then when you, when you have that, and so that's the, that's the doubt thing, you know, resolving, having that in a way, uh, uh, how can you say, you're compelled. Your spiritual, to me, spiritual development will never happen unless there's something compelling about it. You have to be really interested, otherwise you're not going to seek. So maintaining that seeking spirit is really key. And be, be willing to be convinced. And be willing. Because you were saying, you know, it's like, it becomes your spiritual legs. Mm-hmm. So the main thing is, is not to let the doubts win out. Because Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, he says, for the doubting soul, there's no happiness in this life or the next. But if if we allow ourselves to be to be convinced of God's existence, like we allow somebody to win an argument over us, like some people are just they're so stubborn and fixed that there is no God because they want to forget God. But if they're willing to hear, they're willing to be open. Um, I've come to the conclusion from every perspective, it makes more sense that there's God from a logical perspective and from an existential perspective and an experiential perspective. From every perspective, it makes more sense. But the reason why people will give in to doubt is because they have a strong desire to forget God. And therefore, that's what that verse is saying that you read, Mahavadam. means I give them the potency to disbelieve in me. I, I, in their heart, when they have a strong desire to forget me, I infuse them with intelligence and potency to forget me. And so that, that's when doubt, doubt wins out. But when we um, realize that doubts are a natural part of the process, and then that doubt is overcome, we'll become stronger. And that's what I hear what you were saying. 
become stronger by overcoming the doubts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Did you have something to share? Yeah, I want to share. Please. Um, so I I really appreciate that you brought up fifteen because um, just through the course of learning uh, through chapter fifteen. You know, to, to kind of get a glimpse of, of what we really are has been such a beautiful heart-opening um, kind of information. So mine was also 15. I am seated in everyone's heart. You know, he didn't say, like, the mind or the elbows or the knees or brain. or He said heart, you know, and I know he's everywhere, but just to, there's such symbolism for heart with love and connection and safety um, so that really spoke to me, and, and the verse goes on. And from me, one remembers knowledge, or from me comes remembrance, knowledge, and forgetfulness. By the Vedas, I am to be known. Indeed, I am the compiler of Vedanta, and I am the knower of the Vedas. So I, I gained more insight from, uh, you know, what is meant by bhakti yoga. So Krishna says, and I, I, I would love if you would say the, the Sanskrit, because I, I want to hear what it the Sanskrit words of, I am in the heart. I, I in the heart, am situated. That sarvasya chahan. Sarvasya chahan. So this one is so. You want the whole thing? Yeah, sure. Matasmita jnanam apohanam cha. Vedas cha sarvairaham. Eva vedyo. Vedanta krit vedavit eva chaham. It's just like Krishna's words directly to us, you know, that he's in our heart. That's just so beautiful to me. Um, so my reflection is how loving and kind Krishna is when he asks us to remember um, the fact through our devotional service that um, it's not out of fear of Krishna, but out of this exchange of love with Krishna. Um, so, yeah, that was just very heart-swelling for me. Thank you. That was a wonderful realization. Thank mm -hmm. you. Yeah, well, he chooses to be in the heart. Yeah. <laughs> he and I said think that the soul, the soul is here. The soul and Krishna yeah. are situated here. Yeah. I think there's so much, um, in, just in my understanding of religion, has been so fear-based. So to come to Krishna where there's this exchange of this personal loving relationship is such a shift for me. Um, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of why I left God before, was because of all that fear. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm scared of God. God doesn't help me. I'm going to keep myself safe. So yes, I was atheistic and agnostic, but that was because I was scared of God. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't out of, because I want necessarily want to be God, but because I couldn't feel safe with God. Mm -hmm. So to have this sense of safety and love with Krishna, I mean, that's just, that's like a lifelong desire. So. I think we've all been there. I don't know about, I don't know if I can speak for all of you, but I know I've been there where I felt like, gosh, like God is worse than the Satan than they speak of, right? Like, you know, and I, and I would always think about that. But you know what? There was like, like you, I bet you can relate where deep in your heart, you knew that, nah, that can't be the case. That, that, that can't be the case. I mean, there's just too many beautiful yes. things that remind you. Why would you, God want right. me to be ashamed? Right. It just it made no sense. So for me, it was more so that search of like disproving not only to myself, but to others who held that belief, like that God is not that way. And we're actually doing a disservice to humanity at large if we present God in that light. So that was my mission for a while. Yeah. And, and I was able to find enough evidence, even in just the... The you know the, the Christian scriptures to 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 disprove that notion that idea that God was this maniac, right? You know? yeah. Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, the common the common thing, especially in the religions that came out of the Middle East, is that because of the culture there, there was a development of that. It was more like God is a punisher, you know, or a Jealous. or a judgment type of thing, or whatever. You know, you know, you it's more like you can't do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that type of thing, instead of a loving exchange, except you find oftentimes in the mystical aspects of those religions, like Sufism or something like that, especially in Sufism, you find a lot of love of God and relationship oh, yeah. with God. It's always connecting with the heart and the beloved, you know? That's a huge, huge, yeah, they were, basically, yeah. or Muslim bhakti yogis. But they're huge, and they write poems, these gorgeous poems like really? about the love of God and their relationship with it, you know, so in fact on the on the show uh, coming, you know, coming up um, on Kirtan Cafe, I'm doing a lot of variety of different kir Kirtan 
and one of them is some of the Sufi stuff. And so if you listen to that, there's one song on there that's just absolutely gorgeous. But it's, it's about that idea. And it reminded me, wow, that's what we do. You know, there's not a whole lot of different, I mean, that's bhakti. That's, that's devotion, that's devotional service, you know, that's huge. I mean, this wanting a relationship with God. So the aspect is there, definitely. It's there in all, it's, it's the basis, foundation of it all. You know, it's all very similar in that way. And there's always going to be some impetus of, of removing ourselves from pain. That's always going to be there. But it's never going to be the focus. And Krishna in Bhagavad Gita, he describes what this fearfulness is. And it's a product of the mode of ignorance. He says, Get up, give up this lamentation, fearfulness, and illusion. Mm-hmm. Give it up because this is uh, mundane consciousness. Mm-hmm. So when, when Krishna spells out what this material energy is, and we can clearly see, and that's what Krishna is giving us in this particular chapter. He's giving us a snapshot to see what this material energy consists of. And of course, there's going to be some impetus, like, I don't want to suffer in material energy. I don't want to suffer on the hellish planet. And there's going to be some impetus, right, of avoiding the suffering yeah. condition. Right. But it's just a byproduct of that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, and also Krishna is saying that everything is fulfilled through bhakti. So when bhakti is there, then fear immediately is dissipated. So that is just a natural byproduct of being in our sanatana dharma, being connected to Krishna, being in the light instead of the darkness. Because the darkness is a product of the material energy. Fearfulness is a product of the material energy. So if the main impetus to connect with God remains based on fear, then the focus is on the wrong aspect of the connection. It's a subsidiary aspect, not the essential aspect, which is Purushottama Yoga as the connection with the Supreme Person. Yeah. There's no question of bhakti. Yeah. Right. It makes faith in the mode of ignorance, basically. Yeah. Krishna will describe that more. So uh, let's see. I'll read what Mari Mohini said, and then uh, we're a little over time. Let's see. So she said. It is great that you're able to still have the class. I am very thankful. Here below is my homework for this week. I wish you a lot of strength for going through this very difficult time, but I know Krishna is there helping you. My thoughts are with you. Hare Krishna, Mahari Mohini, Devi Dasi. So this is Shicho's text number 20. Everyone must take to this consciousness of Krishna and engage in devotional service to become intelligent and purified. That was Srila Prabhupada in the purport. Mm-hmm. Understanding. Everyone must understand that Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead and consequently offer devotional service to Him. Through doing devotional service, one becomes intelligent and purified, one acquires knowledge, because devotional service is a process of spiritual understanding. Whatever devotional service exists, wherever devotional service exists, the material contamination cannot coexist, so one becomes purified. There cannot be ignorance when there is devotional service, because devotional service and the Lord are one, just like there cannot be darkness when the sun is present. We're just talking about that. Application. I shall, of course, continue to engage in devotional service, knowing that it purifies me and brings me knowledge. I am very thankful to the Lord for this wonderful process. Exclamation mark. Jai. Static. Thank you so much. Okay, so this is also from the end of the chapter, 1520. While one is performing devotional service in the association of pure devotees in full Krishna consciousness, there are certain things which require to be vanquished altogether. The most important thing one has to surmount is weakness of the heart. The first fall down is caused by the desire to lord it over material nature. Thus, one gives up the transcendental loving service of the Supreme Lord. The second weakness of the heart is that one increases the propensity to lord it over material nature. He becomes attached to matter and possessions of matter. The problems of material existence are due to these weaknesses of the heart. In this chapter, the first five verses describe the process of freeing oneself from these weaknesses of heart, and the rest of the chapter from the sixth verse to the end discusses Purushottama Yoga. So, application... Krishna very elegantly summarizes the material entanglement and then emphatically declares we must cut down this material tree through the weapon of detachment. He says the real form of this tree cannot be perceived in this world. 
No one can understand where it ends, where it begins, or where its foundation is. But with the determination, one must cut down the strongly rooted tree with a weapon of detachment. Thereafter, one must seek that place from which, having gone, one never returns, and there surrender to that supreme personality of Godhead, from whom everything began, and from whom everything has extended since time immemorial. Those who are free from false prestige, illusion, and false association, who understand the eternal, who are done with material lust, who are freed from the dualities of happiness and distress, and who, unbewildered, know how to surrender unto the Supreme Person attained to that eternal kingdom. He goes on to discuss who he is in very choice words, his potency, his all-pervasiveness, and his plan for all living entities suffering in this material world. Purushottama Yoga means to know our position in relation to God. God is big and we are small. We must give up these petty weaknesses of heart. Remember he told Arjuna in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita. Give up these petty weaknesses of heart. And humble ourselves in the mission of the Lord and spiritual oneness due to togetherness of heart. On application, we come into this world due to weakness of heart and the knot of attachment becomes thicker and tighter as we attempt to enjoy the material energy more and more. Guru Dev has released me from this knot due to his causeless mercy. Therefore, my only prayer is to remain as a humble servant at the lotus feet of Guru and Vaishnavas. In this way, whatever knots I may tie due to my conditional state will be broken quickly by the power of devotional service and the association of great souls. So we never deviate um, on the strength of Krishna consciousness, but due to our conditioning, sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we aren't perfect. <laughs> we, we do. We say things we don't want, didn't want to say, or think things, or do things. So in that way, we, we continue the process of purification, um, staying through our sadhana practice, um, building friendships with devotees, etc. So, any final words? We are ten minutes over. Oh, I enjoyed okay. the class. <laughs> 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 it's really nice having you. The doubt to me is really fascinating because, um, like I say, it's there's an emotional reason for the doubt. I mean, and the other interesting thing I notice is like I've noticed in my own life when I have doubt, I'm much less happy, and when I have faith, I feel so much happier. So it's not even like an objective question, like a lot of. People say, is there a God? Is there not a God? I mean, if you believe in God, you feel happier. <laughs> and if you don't, you feel sad. Raja vijam, raja guyam, pavicham, idam, udam, pradyaksha vagamam dharma. So you experience it. It's like a very remarkable thing. I was pursuing this path of happiness, I didn't feel happy. The experiential factor is the greatest, yeah. in, in my opinion. Yeah. It's, it, it, it was the game changer. Yeah. I think that's the one that so many people lack yeah. in 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 uh, in making that final decision of whether God is real or not is they lack that experiential factor. If they can just take a second to experience it, then they'd be convinced. But not everyone, as you said, is open to it. Some people are wanting to forget God. Mm-hmm. That's just where they're at. I would definitely say I would say that it's a combination of many things. I think karma definitely plays into it. That's the thing. I don't understand why at 22 years of age, I was able to say, oh, I've invested so many years, time, effort, and energy into this, and now I'm just going to leave all that cold turkey. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing special about me that would just be like, oh, so there has to be karma there. There has to be something. So anyway, yeah. Mercy. Um, Mercy, especially. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Just like Krishna's mercy. And then obviously... Four years later, four or five years later, you know, getting to know his devotees, you know, coming in contact with his devotee, that is the ultimate mercy. So there was some, maybe some agyata sukriti in the yeah. past or something, <laughs> something, something, something happened, you know, I mean, it, but yeah, I mean, I'm just grateful that that was the case because I could have just been like, no, this is what I want. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to keep pursuing this. You know, I mean, we, we all make that choice. Krishna says that we never lose yeah. what we've attained. So if we, in a past life, we got a little bit of taste of spiritual consciousness, yeah. then it's like, 
there's something there within us that is saying like, God, like I, I know, like I've recently I've tasted something yeah. way better than this, and I just can't handle having this low grade existence. Yeah, <laughs> because I I know there's something happier, happier life, happier existence. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, yeah, something. Oh no. Okay. No, and, and, and as you look back, you know, as I look back on my life with that, I realize that circumstances. You know, now that I have a, more of an awareness. Mm. You realize that circumstances in your life, parents you were born into, you were raised with, the families you were raised with, everything else was all there for a reason. It was all a pattern, you know, and you see that. And you see, well, this brought me to where I'm at here right now, you know. And that's that's the mercy of Krishna, you know. Because it's all there. And it's it, you, you reflect back on that and say, well, yeah, duh. There was, you know. So you just, you know, but again, you've got to go through all those paces and all that time and all of a sudden you say oh you know you can look back on it and it's 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 incredible it's absolutely incredible i'm just so grateful for, for it all yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all right we should